0: Eventually, the river stopped flowing at all. It became a long and winding length of sludge and stagnant, brackish water. Mora stood on the bridge, staring down as her daughter, Becca, ran around in a circle, singing a song her mother could not quite recognize. There was a gentle rumble, and then a stronger one. The earthquakes were near constant now, but they still unsettled her. Maura felt a wave of dizziness— She grabbed onto the railing with one hand while reaching for her child with the other. In the distance, buildings undulated as if they were rising from the tender concrete that held them. Her throat was dry. There was a crack in the middle of the pavement, and it began to widen. Maura inhaled deeply. The rumbling stopped. She grabbed Becca's hand and turned for home, carefully lifting the child over freshly fallen rubble. This was the city she had always known bent and nearly broken. Mora wanted nothing more than to leave, but there was nowhere to go. After the Great Leaving nearly a decade earlier, borders around the city had closed to all but the very rich, the other states barely able to quench the thirsts of their own people. She often heard rumors about a way through all the border zones to Mexico and how, down there, they had water not only for drinking but for cooking and bathing and swimming and any old thing you might want to do with water— It sounded so fantastical, Maura refused to truck in such fancy. This was where they lived and thirsted and would eventually shrivel into husks of taut skin. In her kitchen, Maura stared out onto the lake, or what she remembered as the lake but was now something else. So was the way of the river, so was the way of the lake. It had started two hundred years ago with shit, and then it was more shit, and then the skies opened up and never seemed to close, and then it was fish of all things. Fish from parts of the world Mora could only dream of, and all manner of terrible things that laid ruin to everything. The engineers raised the city, and they were considered gods. They built tunnels and changed the way of the river over and over, and they were considered gods, and now it was too late, because the engineers had never been gods at all. They were merely men. The water no longer knew what to do. The ground no longer knew how to hold everything it carried. Some mornings, Mora awoke, saw that her home was still standing, and wanted nothing more than to cry, but tears were a luxury her body could no longer afford. Mora's lips were cracked, and when she dragged her parched tongue along them, she welcomed the taste of blood. Thirsty, Mama, Becca whispered. Mora nodded slowly and reached for the key around her neck. When she opened the cooler, she had to ignore the hollowness of her heart skipping a beat, and then another. There were only nine ounces, and the water distro center wouldn't open again until morning. She motioned for her daughter, and Becca approached, parting her lips slightly. Mora tried not to notice how the child's lips were nearly as cracked as hers. She held the bottle to Becca's mouth and whispered, "'Only a little. There is a lot of day left, and we must remember your father.' Becca nodded solemnly and then leaned forward, her lips curling into a smile as the cool water slid across her tongue toward the back of her mouth. A moment later, Mora stood, pulling the bottle away. Her heart skipped another beat. That morning, while Thomas and Becca slept... Mora tried to enjoy the pale morning light as she walked to the distro, and she tried to enjoy the rising sun as she stood in line for an hour and then two, while ignoring the all-too-dank stink of the people around her. Once she handed over her chits to the burser, Mora walked home with two heavy bottles of water tucked against her body, beneath her long leather coat, her lips set in a hard, dry line. She found Thomas and Becca awake, but still in their nightclothes, sitting cross-legged on the floor, playing a game with their hands. Thomas grinned up at her, and Mora forced herself to smile. She did not understand this man of hers, but she loved him hard and true, and he loved her hard and true, and when his calloused hands roamed her body, she forgot the dryness forever lodged at the base of her throat. Thomas worked the tunnels for twelve, fourteen hours a day, slogging through mud and shit, working with all the other grunts to try and undo the messes made by god-men, and still, when he looked at her, it was like she was the only thing he would ever hope to see. Sometimes, late at night, Thomas held his head in his hands and told Mora about the ruin he saw each day and how he and every man on his crew knew there was no way of undoing that ruin. Still, they clawed through the tunnels, wading through the sludge and the bloated corpses of dead fish, dead men, dead women and children, holding their breath in their dry, aching lungs each time the ground shook and the dark water seeped through new cracks because the godmen, who were merely men, did not know what else to do.